1: formerly Providence and Logistic Care, the nation's largest provider of non-emergency medical transportation, serving 30 million patients through 70 million rides annually. Motive Care is a tech-enabled healthcare services company whose value-based supportive care solutions address the social detriments of health, enable greater access to care, elevate patient experience, reduce costs, and drive positive health outcomes. Care seeks to dismantle the barriers of health inequities by reshaping NEMT, nutritional meal delivery, and together with the newest acquisition, Sumplura, personal and home care, empowering individuals to take control of their health. MotiveCare represents $2 billion in revenue with over 18,000 team members. Kenneth has more than three decades of executive leadership experience in the healthcare industry, encompassing a range of senior operational and managerial and commercial roles. He recently served as commercial Chief Commercial Officer of Healthcare at Sodeco. Prior to that, Kenneth held the President and Chief Operating role at Hangar SPS and leadership roles at Cardinal Health and Allegiance Healthcare Corporation. He began his career at Baxter Healthcare and served in increasingly prominent sales leadership positions. Kenneth graduated from Davidson College with a Bachelor's Degree in Economics and Social Science from Davidson College. So, Kenneth, welcome to the Second Command Podcast.
0: Uh, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate it very much all right it's a so great introduction I, I i boy it makes you feel pretty good
1: right it's, it's great yeah. i feel that way too sometimes i get i do speaking events and i i get called up on stage and i'm like well, wow, it's kind of nice when you get to write your own bio but then when you have to read it <laughs> it, it feels weird too but you do have a really you've a really um pretty cool background but also like you've been in healthcare your entire career which is unusual to stay in that one industry do you think that's why you've been successful or one of the reasons you've been successful
0: well i think um There's a couple of things that I think have helped me to be successful. First, uh, with my background, I grew up in rural North Carolina on a tobacco farm, and um, we were very, very poor. And having a chance to see people at their, I would call it at a base level, just good people trying to make a living every day, sometimes not having access to health care, sometimes not having the money to afford health care certainly has helped me. Um, and then one of the things that helped me escape that background was I played basketball, got a basketball scholarship to Davidson, one of the greatest and most, um, one of the best schools in America and had a great career there playing basketball, but also academically and learned a lot about people from differing backgrounds. A lot of people at Davidson were very, very wealthy, very well off. Um, so that whole experience taught me another side of life. Um and I've been able to apply those lessons, lessons learned as a poor black kid in rural America uh, and then to, uh, as a poor black kid in a very wealthy, affluent school like Davidson that prepares you for life and prepares you for life in the business world and out in the world and as it normally is. So um, then to take that into healthcare and and um, those experiences, that teamwork, that uh, growth, um, That empathy, that thought process around helping my fellow man, all those things have applied, uh, that I've applied to my healthcare career have been things that have made me successful.
1: Interesting. I love that you're bringing up the the empathy and and understanding the good people part. And then when you said basketball, I just had a, a flashback, a friend of mine, um, just passed away the other day, uh, pretty famous basketball player, Mark Eaton from the Utah Jazz. Yes, yes. He, uh, he was riding his bicycle. That's all he was doing was just going for a bike ride in, in um, Park City and fell off his bike and was dead. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah, That's like- crazy, isn't it? I mean, the the. I mean, this isn't making light of things, but like when you're seven foot four, like what does a bicycle look like for a guy seven? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. Probably, <laughs>
0: right? I mean, it probably looks like a like a big giant uh, monster truck or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean. it's
1: either it's either a custom made bicycle or he looked like you know from the Shrine Circus, like riding a little clown bike. But yeah, yeah was, exactly. To see that he wasn't wasn't very old. So interesting, you talk about the um the good people and, and noticing what you noticed like growing up on the tobacco farm. I, There's a a CEO of a a company over in India that talked a lot about hiring people from the villages and he would never hire people from the big cities because they'd lost the core values. Do you look for that in your hiring at all? Do you, or do you, does it make you more empathetic or do you look for those kind of still, those people still?
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you make. Um, Success as an executive, success as a leader is extremely dependent upon totally dependent upon the people you hire Mm -hmm. because a lot of times in these roles, we have a vision or a thought process about what we want to get done and how it should be done, but you've got to have the right people to do it who buy into your vision and have the executional skills and the leadership skills themselves to do it. Um, So here's what I would say about that, that question. First, I do tend to look for in many cases, former athletes, Mm -hmm. people who understand teamwork self-sacrifice, that they can get to the ability to get beyond themselves. People I know who want to win and want to deliver. I tend to look for that. And a lot of times it's in the person of former athletes. But let me also say this. I found that that's a, those qualities are very prominent in women. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have kids. They have families. Uh, they're, or they're taught all their lives, maybe in some cases that they can't do it, and what they can't do. I like that little bit of a chip on the shoulder. I like that 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 um, the, the the family orientation sometimes you see with women who who in some cases come to work, bust their butts, go home to two or three kids, and they have to do it again. Yeah. They have that sense <laughs> of self sacrifice, that sense of team, and in many cases they're brilliant uh, and they, they're creative around getting things done. In my career. There are 56 women who've worked for me, who I've found, developed, that are either at a VP level, SVP level, EVP level, or in some cases, CEOs. Um, I, I, that's a, those qualities are prevalent a lot of times uh, in athletes, in women, and sometimes it's just plain old people who, who, who understand how life works and have learned to, to, to embody those qualities.
1: It's interesting how I think as we as we grow, we gain a little bit of that kind of wisdom of of what works either with us or what does work. I agree on the women part. I think they're just way better at multitasking, way better at project management, way better at organization, because they do tend to have that either built in DNA or they've learned the skills along the way. I, I have a a very strong bias towards that as well. What um what do, you is, what do you think has made you successful? Then, I mean, you talked a little bit about about kind of noticing those traits, and and I guess becoming an empathetic leader, and um, and, and then what you learned on on the court and in in pro sport or in sport. What else has made you strong as a leader?
0: Yeah, um, uh, I'll, I'll touch on a few of those things. For me, it starts with and has always started with you have to have a a strong desire to get a job done or get to the finish line. And I've always had that, um, just wanna win, wanna win badly. Um, and you have to have that, that's a driver. Um, but, but then I, as I've gone forward, I've realized there's certain talents and abilities that I have. One, um, many people think I'm a great communicator. I'm very good at getting my message across to people, both, in, both publicly and individually. So I think those things have helped me. That's helped me be very successful because in business, you have to be able to communicate your vision. And, and I think the other thing, too, for me is I do look for certain profiles in people, the win, people who want to win, people who have a strong work ethic, people who can multitask, who have the great organizational skills. And I also think people that have skill sets I don't have, um, people that, uh, and, be, and be comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Hire people that you think could be or might be better than you someday and be comfortable with that. Lead them. Uh, I think I'm a good teacher um, and I think I believe in people significantly. Um, I think it applies to people. Some people have it, some people don't. For me, one of the success factors with people for me is I genuinely have the love. I love the people I work with. I love the people, the, the customers I've worked with. I love the members that we pick up every day Um, down to the I love the janitor who's cleaning the building. Um, My boss, CEO, I love him, too. Uh, And I genuinely have those feelings when you have those genuine and genuine feelings for people. And you want to see everybody be successful. People work harder for you. They they come to the forefront for you. And with few exceptions, I've gotten the best out of people. Um, and gotten the best out of their, their gotten them to want and buy into my vision. Um, and and really, in many cases, had constructs of my vision that were better than my own vision. <laughs> um, that's that's what ultimately wins. And I think if you ask me what, if I had one singular talent that has made me successful is, I, I feel like I'm very, very good with the leadership and the being with people. Those are the things, those two things have made me uh, maybe different than other people who've come up along the same path i have
1: when when you care about people to the level that you care about them and love on them the way that you do as well, how do you how do you fire the ones that you know you got to get rid of How do you you know make those yeah. tough decisions
0: yeah, I think uh, there's a there's a couple of things about that It's a great question um, and it's it's easy for me in this sense not easy to fire people very difficult mm. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of things. In business, the only intolerable thing is failure. You have to continue to win in order to sustain the culture and the business in the way that you do today. If you don't win, everything changes, including me, everything. And so the the success factor of, of being in business has to be sustained. The other thing I always think about is, I might, I might fire 10 people so that I can pre- preserve a thousand. Right. And, and I think that's the mercy of, of maybe firing someone, firing people, because you're, you're attempting to, to create an organization and a culture, um, that, that grows success and rewards success. If someone's not being successful, everybody knows it. And in some cases, they hold you accountable for it if you don't do anything about it. Yeah. So I, I think for me, um, I, I rarely fire somebody. In most cases, they fire themselves um, because we have to be successful. If there's no substitute for it. There's no question about it. It has to happen. Uh, but and, I, and I, like I say again, sometimes we we fire ten, get better people in those roles so that we can preserve. Thousands, And I think that makes it a little easier for us.
1: Well, and I I heard this recently, I don't know where where I heard it, but someone was talking about that kind of concept. And they said that firing the underperformers or firing the bad culture people is the way to take care of our A players. Yes, and, and by keeping the wrong people, we're often hurting our A players. So it's like, which group do you want to take care of? The bad yes. ones? The, so you, you take care of the good ones by getting rid of the cultural cancers, right? Or getting rid of the underperformers. Yes. Like, like you said, you fire the 10 to take care of the thousand.
0: The other <laughs> thing I think
1: you touched on, you didn't quite say it, but, but it feels to me like you do treat your employees and the company much more like a team and much less like a family, right? In a family, we're stuck with who we get right we Correct. you got to love them either way you can't really fire them you just got to love them and fi- but in a in a in a in a team the underperformers the cultural cancers they're off the team and you bring in the new ones and and you work hard
0: and you're always driving is that do you, yeah, do you have- I, I use the word team all the time because mm. that is exactly the point we we don't a family you're born into it a yeah. team you earn your way through it yeah uh, and by the way the, the thing about a family is sometimes the, the worse you perform, the more you, uh, you get more of the family's resources. That's not the way it works on a team. <laughs> the worse you perform, the more likely you are to be sitting on the bench yeah. or off the team. So, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, t- teammate is a – to me, I call people teammates often. Yeah, uh, I use that term to refer to people, hey, teammate, how are you? Because to me, teammate is an earned distinction, it, and it's a respectful distinction, mm-hmm. uh, and not everybody is a teammate. Not everybody can has earned that distinction, but um, it, it, this is a team. Uh, it has to be a team. But you don't stay because you were you were somebody put you there. You stay because you earn your way there, and you earn your and you sustain your place by your performance.
1: Well, it's fine. Some people had dysfunctional families. So that term of like, it's a family doesn't really ring very well
0: with them. No, it really doesn't. I I don't want to be on a family. Uh, No, no. All in the family. No, we don't want it (laughs) all in the family. No, No, we really don't want that.
1: So, so you're, you're in a role now where you're constantly like when you're at a a bigger level, you know, bigger company, you're, you're bringing in senior people above three to seven layers of others. Yes. How do you bring in senior talent into the company without upsetting the apple cart? How do you bring them in gently? Like, what are the ways to bring them in without causing or to minimize the ripple effects that they cause? You know, both good and bad ripple effects.
0: Yes, great, great question. Two, two things I would say about that. First, I do think you have to make sure in your uh, development of your organization that you're mining for and understand the talent you have within. Uh, it's very important to understand it. It's very important to to uh, um, to develop it, and it's very important to tap people on the shoulder and give them a chance. If organization has opportunities that they can fit into, mm. but in, in the scenarios that where we can't do that, and in many cases with some of these senior senior roles, we can't. There's a couple of things. First, I have a long history in business. One of the things I've always done is in my mind recruited people that I thought had a chance to work with and that might bring value to the organizations that I am going to or am in. There were that there was some chemistry between us that allowed us to work well together and or there was some ability that they had to, to bring things together in a way that maybe someday down the road I could use. Um, I'll give you an example. I have a person that runs one area of my business that I've worked with three times. He's a person of unbelievable focus uh, and excellence everything he does is driven by his tremendous focus if you tell him to do something it's gonna happen and he's typically excellent well i just gave him the biggest job he's ever had in his career because in this case we had a lot of it was loose it was not disciplined enough it wasn't uh focused enough and these cust- and this particular customer base needs focus they need people that they need uh uh, uh They needed for us to be um, on top of everything. And this is a person that I knew would have that focus and capability to do that. So I gave him the job and he's somebody that I I hired 15 years ago and put him in various jobs, but I wasn't working with him at the time I hired him, but I knew about him and it kept him kind of on my, you know, scorecard about somebody I could get down the road. And, um, but, but I think as we go through our lives and we develop and train people, we should be keeping a little bit of a scorecard as to who we think can help us down the road. And I've always done that. That's um, yeah. I think the other piece of it is how do you bring those folks in first? You have to make sure that they're extremely competent, um, that you have a clear picture of what you want them to do. And you give them that clear picture when they walk through the door. Uh, and, and by the way, sometimes organization will have people in that who are naysayers about those folks. And you have to be, Uh, supportive of them as long as that path that you ask them to be on is being met and they're going down the right path. Uh, And then you have to give a little grace sometimes if you need to. But um, I've had very good success typically in bringing people in because in many cases I knew these people very well before I brought them in, understood them very well, and by the way, knew and had the job prescribed for them when they came through the door. Yeah, I like
1: that. The... um one of the things you were talking about was was these types of leaders that you're bringing in as well. Have you had any experience? It's a random question, but have you had any experience at bringing in leaders that that are from the military at all, and what they're like?
0: Yes, I have. Um, I've, 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 um, I like military leaders. Um, people have been through uh, that that process.
1: And I'm I'm Canadian, I, I, so we don't we don't have a, a big military in Canada, so we don't like right. I don't know anyone who's ever served. So I'm curious what you've learned in that in that realm.
0: Well, it's a couple of things. First, uh, tip, uh, if you bring in someone from the military, there's typically that tremendous discipline, mm-hmm. um, that tremendous belief or ability to get the job done um, because they understand they have to do their job. In, in the military, when you do your job, you're not only protecting yourself, you're protecting those who count on you. And by the way, business is very similar to that. You, when you do your job, you're you're protecting the flanks of those who are working beside you. Uh, and, and military leaders tend to understand that mm. and understand it very, very well mm. uh, and and typically, you tell them to do something, they're okay with do that. The other thing I like about military leaders is the humility. They understand that when you ask them to do something, uh, you know, they'll give you their opinion, their thoughts, but if you say, "Hey, Billy, Joe, or Susie, I need for you to do this uh it's over. Yeah. And they go out and do it. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and you need that sometimes you need for yeah. people to execute. And, you know, even if sometimes they don't 100 percent agree and, and, you know, I, I think I all my folks always tell me their opinion. Give me another way if, if it's better. But if we make a decision as a group, we're going to go a direction. Yeah. I need for people to be humble enough to go do that and drive to that.
1: Yeah, when there's a decision, the consensus is now it's done. Like the debate has been left. We're now going forward. Yes. You can't keep debating. Yes. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, yeah. you, you talked about execution skills, like looking for people that have good execution skills. What does that mean to you?
0: Um, by, by the way, if you really think about the way companies are set up now, they put tremendous resources into acquisitions and initiatives okay. and IT With all those tools, we need people who will take those tools and make them manifest in the marketplace. And that's really what execution means to me. It means not just that we have these tools, but that you've taken those tools, those capabilities, um, those opportunities, and you've driven them in the marketplace to the customer, to your employees, to the vendor community, or whoever it is that you've been asked or assigned to, to work with, that you understand that there has to be a a significant outcome for what we've asked you to do. It can't just be, I did what you told me and we're neutral. The Execution to me is, is you advance the organization through the execution and, the, and your ability to do your job and you change the organization as a result of it. And by the way, you also took our strategy and moved it forward through your efforts, your energy and your leadership. Mm-hmm. That's what execution means to me
1: when you, when you're a larger company and you guys are like 18000 ish employees, how do you prevent or how do you work around or break down the silos and the politics and the um, you know the corporate bureaucracy that starts to to happen when you get up to that <laughs> speed like what do you how do you work around that?
0: Well I think um, or is it I just mean, it or even, is it
1: just you're just okay with it like it's just part of the part of the puzzle at that size
0: it, it, it's not i'm I'm personally not never okay with it. <laughs> I will say this. Any leader will tell you that some of that is always going to be in the system. But I think what you have to do is two things. First, you have to demand excellence, demand results, reward the people who, who give you those things. And by the way, anybody who's divergent from that will see pretty quickly Mm. that either they have to change course or they have to go go somewhere else. Um, But, but I think it's as a leader, you have to be very consistent about what you, what you ask what you want to see, and, and then lastly, what you reward. And when you see something that you don't reward or that you don't like, you have to deal with it, deal with it ex- with extreme prejudice, deal with it with extreme, um, uh, you, know, you know, speed. Um, and, then, and then if you see things you like, talk about it, embrace it, show the way, teach, and, and of course reward financially and with promotions. People learn very quickly. What organizations value, and mm. they do that. If organizations value politics and and pretty slides and 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 you know people that backstab, that's what everybody will do. Right. If organizations don't value it, it quickly, in my opinion, goes away. So I would like to believe our organization is about performance. I like to believe our organization is about getting things done. I like to believe that our organization is about treating people the right way with with respect and regard. And, and by the way, having a great regard, putting number one regard in the face of our customers and members. I'd like to believe that. And, and, and by the way, it's what we talk about and I think it's what we reward. Um, but there's always gonna be diversion behavior, politics. And you know, sometimes you can't do anything about it. But I think what the behavior we model and what we reward drives it in or drives it out.
1: What what was it that attracted you to Motive Care? I mean, you also picked up and moved across the country for this role too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, I you know I wasn't um, necessarily looking for a job, but I, I I have to be really honest. I love our mission. We deal with fragile people in the community, uh, and we're doing a great work around social determinants in our own way. Um, and I just love the opportunity that we've had to do that. The second thing, though, is, and it's pretty—I'll uh, tell anybody this—I really liked our leadership team. I particularly liked our our CEO. I just liked his passion, his energy, his drive, and his willingness to take risk and do do big things in the marketplace. Um, his his um, engine matched mine, and um, and I just wanted to be around somebody like that. I felt like it would motivate me, drive me, push me even further. And it certainly has.
1: Cool. How long did it take you to get up to speed, to feel kind of comfortable with the surroundings and the business?
0: Um, I'm still getting comfortable with it <laughs> and learning. Deep. Yeah, I've been there, I've been here exactly one year. There are some immediate changes I had to make in areas of account management and in our, our call centers and uh, elements of our operation and sales team. I, there were some immediate changes I had to make so I was really focused on that. But I'm, I feel like in the last really few months, I'm starting to get the handle on the business that I like, that I'm starting to understand the transportation portion in a way that's at a higher level than I was. Um, and then, you know, I'm really being, I'm really starting to uh, see my own personal leadership instincts and management style and, and uh, ability to kick in. I'm really starting to feel like I'm really growing in that regard.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about that recently with with me in a role that I had years ago as well. It, it felt like it was around a year when I kind of really felt like it was okay. We we got things rolling and going, and I don't know why that was about the time, but because people talk about the first hundred days, but when an- no, yeah, it's it's that's too fast. No,
0: yeah, you don't. You may think you know a lot in the first hundred days, but you don't. How are How are you still developing as a leader? What do you yeah, know? I think yeah, this, I think there's a couple of things for me um i think for me i'm i'm a uh people person significantly and i grew up in a world uh where i was poor and and i i wanted to if i ever had an opportunity to treat people with the kind of respect and regard that uh i craved for when i was a kid as a poor kid in north carolina Uh, and i and that's still the biggest part of me um but what i'm learning is that my life and what I become has evolved uh, and that I have to continue to grow and evolve with it, that I can't treat all employees the same, that I can't, um, that I have to continue to keep, uh, there, there are employees where you need to have some boundaries. And because of the level you are at and how people might perceive friendships, relationships, and things of that nature. And so I'm learning, I'm still learning that, still understanding that, um, that we can be great in terms of leading people and showing compassion, love, friendship, but there still needs to be boundaries and that people need to continue to understand that you are the CEO you got to make t- tough decisions and you got to set the right tone and, uh, or CEO. excuse me, you got to mm-hmm. set the right tone. You got to set the right, boundaries. you got to set the right, um, you know, success measures. And those are all things that I continue to grow and learn at this level, because at COO level, the buck sort of stops here uh, in many, many ways. And um, I I need to make sure that I fully understand that and not forget that always.
1: That's interesting. I don't think I've had anyone on the Second in Command podcast yet speak about um, kind of the playing favorites and and not getting too close to some of the employees. Can you can you give us a specific example of maybe when you did get too close or too familiar with, because that's a really interesting thought. I, I know on the playing favorites that sometimes we had our best friends at the office and others feel a little bit left out, but, but speak a little bit more to that kind of getting too close to them and, and maybe where that bit you in the ass. Or... I, I,
0: don't, I think it's, I think it's one of those kind of things where I um, it's more of an overall thought process and in, in, in that, um, that that me any I, I love anyone who speaks to me, talks to me, that I see every day, uh, you know, who brings me cookies, <laughs> and, you know, and um, I you know, those are just I just have to be careful of those things because one of the things I've just learned through this is when you're in these roles, everybody's watching all at all times and wondering if you're is you know what your goals are what your motives are and by the way what that means to them Mm. more than anything else and i've realized that i have to be aware of those things because i just want to from a a personal standpoint my natural instinct is that i just want to love everybody in the same way and you just can't can't
1: do that you i've got a question around kind of the um the situational leadership that you were talking about a little bit about and how you have to adapt your style when you're hiring leaders that are better than yourself, when in your career, did you finally get comfortable with that? And, and, cause people, you know, seem to be worried about, well, if I hire them better, what's, what's my role going to be? And when did you finally get okay with that hiring people better than yourself and leading them and building teams of teams and, and how did you get there?
0: Yeah. I was a region manager in Cincinnati early in my career Um, and, um, this is, uh, this, this happened, um, and we, this, I took a region that was really struggling, but I hired this young man and he just had everything. He was, you know, just to just look the part was a person of honor, of dignity, pride. And immediately he started to go out and produce incredible results. And as a result of his efforts, we had the best year this particular region had ever had. It was almost solely entirely because of his efforts. And it it occurred to me, what if I had 10 people like him? Hmm. Uh, What if I had, and I really, so I started to raise my standard for the other nine people that were on that team from a sales team standpoint. And pretty soon I had five or six people like him. And, and, and all of a sudden we were cooking with gas yeah. And that success we had that one year multiplied and obviously got, got me promoted. And one of the things that when people I said, what did you do? And I said, well, I hired better people than myself, but I'm their leader. I found them. I put them in place. Uh, uh, you can take them and put them other places. You can, when, I, when you promote me, you can give them my job. But I just learned that the, those folks, if you get the right folks, um, they'll produce results. It doesn't make me nervous. And, I, and by the way, if I hire good folks, give them a chance to succeed, they'll be loyal, I'll be loyal, and the company will reward me for being courageous enough to put significant people in the roles that we have. They'll value that. For sure. And by the way, I'm their leader. So uh, it, at the end of the day, I put those people in place. So it doesn't hurt me to have greatness who, that works for me. It, doesn't, it makes me greater
1: when you're when you're a smaller company or a mid-sized company you um i think one of the core roles of leaders is to keep growing and developing people does that still happen in larger organizations are you still growing yes their skills? i think it's even more
0: important in large organizations um because we're still trying to expand we're still trying to find exciting ways to be successful um we're still trying to go into new markets we're, it, i mean and and because of the size of the company the the you you need to scale more quickly and more significantly in order to grow 5% or 10% as a company gets bigger. Mm-hmm. So it's not, uh, it's, to me, it's the need to do that is greater in bigger companies. Plus you have more slots, more places, more opportunities to put people. Um, uh, I had a friend of mine, who used to say this to me all the time. He goes, goes Kenny, the greatest thing a leader can do. And I said, what's that? He goes, always be recruiting, bro. Always be recruiting. Because it's true people yeah. come and go lead, or you have opportunities and you want to have somebody that you can plug in that can continue to deliver against the, the results that you need and the opportunities that you have. So the the need for people and 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 successful people, great people is always going to be there. And I think it continues to be a need for us right now.
1: It's interesting. So what do you think makes motive care um, different than, than some of the other organizations you've been with
0: mission? Um Mission. It's easy. We deal, again, with some of the most fragile people in the world, um, elderly, diabetics who need uh, dialysis treatment, methadone clinics, uh, people who in some cases have questionable home situations, um, uh, people who need uh, restricted diets when they, when, they, when they go home from the hospital or from uh, whatever event that they're going to that day. We deal with really fragile people. Um, some of them aren't happy. Some of them are unhappy because they're physically struggling or they don't feel good or they're miserable or they're, um, or, or they're sick or they're not well. Um, we, we, in many cases, we realize that if we make a mistake, if we don't pick somebody up, the stresses on their bodies could be something that puts them in jeopardy. We understand that. Wow. So if, you're, if you ask me what I like about our company more than any other I've worked for is, is, is the understanding of the mission we have. Social determinants is about what, where someone lives having a greater impact on their lives than maybe even um, you know their job or other things. Where you live has a greater impact on your life cycle and your health than anything else. And we realize that and many, and we're a community-based organization. So our company provides opportunities, health uh, results and outcomes. Um, You just can't beat this from a mission standpoint. And it matters to all of us in the leadership team quite a bit. And for many of our folks, they're some of the most altruistic people I've ever seen. They love this job and what we mean and what we represent. And let me tell you something. we have people, I, my, I, I'll tell you this quick story. My boss got a call from a member who um, who got, got left by the road and um, he called me into his office and he was upset beyond words. And I, I was looking at him, I was like, wow, this is a CEO and he's really upset. He was really, really upset about it. And it mattered to him. And he called this person on the phone would be sitting there and um, I've been in a lot of companies. I'd never seen that. Wow, I'd never seen that. Uh, and this person was a individual member with a with a, who was from a, at a dialysis clinic. So it wasn't some customer with millions of dollars to give us. It was one individual person, and that's the spirit of this place. And well, um, you know, easy buy into. It.
1: Yeah, what's interesting about what you're talking about with mission is is some companies try to create a mission, right? They try to create something yes. out of thin air because they don't really have anything. And then others that are in healthcare have potentially the same kind of mission you've got, and They don't give a shit about it at all. So it's not like you were given the gift of mission. You actually do care too, which I think is different. There's lots of, you know, you can go into all kinds of hospitals and they don't care at all where you go into another hospital and they really do. So it's, that's, that's intriguing the way you guys, you really do live it. All right, let's go back to the 21, 22 year old Kenneth Wilson. You know, you're just graduating from college and you, you want to get some advice. What advice would you give your your twenty two year old self that maybe you know to go through now? <laughs> oh boy,
0: um, save more money would be one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, you know I would say three things. First, um, understand and work hard on understanding what your strengths are and what you bring to the world every day, and and try to strengthen those things. Um, uh, understand what number two, understand what your weaknesses are. Uh, and by the way, be on, un- find a way to make yourself uncomfortable with growth, with growth around your weaknesses, with growth around getting better, with growth around trying to find things to do that you didn't know you could do. Um, discomfort is, is a result of growth. That's what drives discomfort. Um, seek to be, dis- seek to be uncomfortable and trying to make yourself better. Last thing I would always say is love and honor people because at the end of the day, that's one of the things that has made my career. People have reached back and said, that dude was good to me. Nice to me. Help me. And, um, and I, and I'm going to honor that by, by giving him an opportunity or giving him business. If you have time, I'll tell you one quick story. Yeah, please. It was a story that literally changed my career. I called on a, group pursing organization in Dallas. And um, I was given that sort of as a throw in. And I go into the office one day and there was a lady in the lobby and she was crying. This was back in the days when you wore suits and you put the handkerchief in your lapel. And um, I see this lady crying and people were walking by her nobody said anything to her, but she was just crying, crying, crying. I didn't know what it was, but I walked over to her, took my lapel uh, handkerchief out and I handed it to her. And I said, hey, I don't know what's wrong with you today. I don't know what's bothering you, but I'll say a prayer for you. And here's my handkerchief, you dry your eyes and hope you have a better day. And I just turned around and walked off. Hmm. One year goes by, I get a phone call on a Friday and it's, uh, there was a lady on the phone and she said, hey, you have a meeting with the CEO of our company on, tom- on Monday. Be here because I want you to talk about your glove deal that you have on the board. And I said, I don't have a meeting. She goes, Yes, you do. Well, by the way, there was a glove deal we had pending. There was worth 150 million dollars. And I get a plane ticket. I call the guy that ran the glove business. I said, You want to go with me? We go to Dallas on that Monday morning early. We get to the office, and when you know it, the lady who I gave the handkerchief to had set the appointment for me, walked up to me, gave me a hug and said, my mother passed that day. You're the only person who said anything to me that day. And I wanted to tell you how much it meant to me. Wow. And I made this appointment for you. Wow. Just as she finished, my competitor who had the business, the incumbent opens the door of the CEO's office and a guy I couldn't get to. And he Looked and saw me and all the color went out of his face. I had a meeting with the CEO, with my glove, the leader of the glove business. We had a wonderful conversation. Two months later, I was awarded $150 million worth of business. One singular act. Yeah. And it changed everything. We sit around sometimes and we, we don't do things we could do. We don't do things we should do. We don't treat people the way we should treat them. And sometimes we miss opportunities because of it. Well, one of the things I don't do, I don't miss those opportunities. One act of kindness to me can change everything. And well, that particular day it did.
1: That's a massive, that's a massive story that I hope every one of your employees hears over these years too, because there's something really cool in there. And the other part of that, even if it doesn't link to an opportunity, is none of this shit matters. We're no, all, we're all gonna die. Like no, we're, all, you're we're right. all just walking each other home, man. that's it bro it was it was worth it just to do it yeah that's really neat that's really cool um i I may have to just carry a pocket square in my pocket of my jeans from now on because i'm not wearing.
0: (laughs) just i'm telling you you just never know
1: i got i got too many of them maybe i'll just carry them and give them out (laughs) now kenneth wilson coo from motive care thank you so much for sharing with us really appreciate it been wonderful getting to know you and uh, congrats on the move to denver
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been wonderful being here and I appreciate the time, Cameron. It was really great. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.